This week on Diffusion, we take you back to the dusty vaults of 2007 when Prime Minister John Howard led the Liberal National Coalition and they looked to introduce an Australian identity card. Welcome to Diffusion Science Radio, your 30-minute dose of science news, views and breakthroughs. I'm your host, Darren Osborne. Whether you're listening to us in Sydney on 2SER, around Australia on the Community Radio Network, or you've downloaded the show from the internet, welcome aboard. In this week's program, we have a science and technology special on identity cards and information privacy. We have expert commentary and a special guest on the program. But first, it's time for Ian Wolfe. The Australian government plans to introduce a computer card to identify everyone accessing government services. On the face of the card is your photo, identification number and signature. The card will be necessary for government payments, so the chip will also store your financial status and whether you sleep with the people you live with. The chip will be backed up on the central identity database. The card has one area protected by law with copies of your proof of identity documents and biometric data for automated cameras. There will also be one area not protected by law. The government suggests you include your private health information, such as being positive to a sexually transmitted disease, allergies, diabetes or asthma, on the unprotected area of the card. The government indicates on www.accesscard.gov.au that the problems it will solve are that people are waiting too long in queues, the inconvenience of updating your address multiple times, welfare fraud, and the fact that paper and magnetic identification can be copied easily. And now it's time for Anna Johnston, former New South Wales Deputy Privacy Commissioner, talking about national ID schemes. Anna Johnston, head of the Australian Privacy Foundation's No ID Card campaign at www.privacy.org.au au is certain that the access card is really an identity card in disguise well there's a number of elements in the design of the scheme that are about introducing features that are useful only if you're going to use it as an id card and are simply not necessary for the purpose of accessing health and social security benefits and i'm talking about your biometric photograph a unique number to identify you your digitized signature if these things are accessible through either the database or the chip on the card to staff of you know medicare and centrelink and so on our argument is there's no reason why those things also need to be made visible on the surface of the card. The only reason to put those details on the surface of the card is if you intend the card to be used as an all-purpose identity card by a range of different people. The government says that a person requiring you to produce the card for identification will face five years in jail. Isn't this enough protection? Our reading of the bill is that it doesn't provide those protections. To start with, the government is giving itself an exemption from those rules. It's also giving state, territory and local government an exemption from those rules. So government, you know, police officers, dog catchers, bus drivers, they will all be able to ask for you to show your access card as a form of ID and can't be prosecuted under the bill. 
Furthermore, the language of the bill just says no one can require you to produce the access card as a form of ID, but there's nothing to stop them asking you nicely or suggesting it or making it as difficult as possible for you if you don't, in quotation marks, voluntarily produce the access card. So we think those assurances from the government are quite false. What is wrong with having a card collecting your age, sex, marital status, income, and bank balance? connected to a centralized identification system that can recognize your face. One of the great dangers with a centralized identity card system is actually it's not the cards nearly so much as it is the database that sits behind it. The notion that there will be one database covering all 20 million Australians, children included, who won't even have a card. Again, the bill actually leaves some fairly key issues to the discretion of the Secretary of the Department of Human Services. So the bill allows a senior public servant to decide what information to put about you on the chip of your card and what other information to add to the register or the database that sits behind the card. And the more information that's stored in the one place, the greater the risk to you if that card is lost or stolen or hacked into or compromised in some way. I believe that the Australian government is really putting the privacy and data security of Australians at risk with this proposal on top of the concerns about the impact on your privacy and the right to lead an anonymous life. A lot of people say, you know, what's the problem with an ID card if I've done nothing wrong, I've got nothing to hide, nothing to fear. I think the onus should be on the government to demonstrate why they need to intrude into our daily lives. But where do you go to my lovely... When you're alone in your bed Won't you tell me the thoughts that surround you I want to look inside your head, yes I do Your name, it is heard in high places This interview was as synthetic as my voice. Anna Johnston was really interviewed by Alex Coots. On the Wire, produced by Erica Valls, on the 13th of February 2007 at the community radio station 2SCR, I cut out the answers I liked from the recording, and then pasted my own questions in front of them in a synthetic voice. And that was Anna Johnston, former New South Wales Deputy Privacy Commissioner, talking about national ID schemes, speaking to somebody. And now Ian Wolfe speaks to engineer and artist Aris Vaches about the future of RFID technology. Aris, what is RFID? RFID is a technology that enables remote reading of memory devices. I mean, those memory devices can just be from a few bits to thousands of bits. RFID can also be used to interface to a remote computer. They have many applications. It's merely a form of media for storing information and at the higher levels of interaction with a computer system, usually very small scale. Um, most of the time it seems to be used for information retrieval and storage. So it's also being used, as I understand, on credit cards and passports so that you don't have to take it out of your bag or your pocket. It can just be read by a reader nearby and all the data goes in without you having to be bothered. I don't know, necessarily know about that. I mean, my new passport seems to have an RFID chip in the middle of it but they still take it out and look at it, and I don't think anyone would just trust it <laughs> uh, without opening it up and actually checking that the, the picture matches uh, your face. Do you think the ID card is something people should find making life easier, or is it something that people should worry about? 
Neither, really. I don't think the general idea of having the card as planned by the government I don't think is cause for concern. Perhaps the implementation is cause for concern. But, I mean, what I've read so far, the problem always seems to come down to people and abuse by people, not necessarily the technology itself. So it's not the technology and it's not the information, it's the uses people might put it to. Yes, I mean, anything can be misused. It's another thing that can be misused, but I don't personally see a problem with it after reading about it. Pretend somebody nasty gets in and decides to abuse it, whether that's a government or whether that's terrorists or whether that's criminals. Those nasty terrorists. That's right. (laughs) How would you prevent it? What would you do to make things safer? I wouldn't use RFID technology. RFID is a form of smart card. I think it's good to use smart cards in general. I mean, what the alternative, or let's say the predecessor to smart cards, are really magnetic stripe cards. And we've got them everywhere. They're generally accepted. And they are a two-way system. I mean, you can write back onto a mag stripe card, and you can also copy them very easily. And uh, everyone, well, not everyone, but the financial institutions tell you that you shouldn't allow your mag stripe card to go out of sight you know, behind the counter at some dodgy place overseas where it'll get copied very easily. I mean, the the devices to uh, write to MagStripe cards are all around us. I mean, you can go to vending machines or whatever and pull one of those parts out and use it to write your own MagStripe cards. Uh, it's easily done. There's tutorials on the internet showing people how to do it. Isn't it um, becoming the same way with RFID? Well, possibly with RFID, but, I mean, the question was how would I do it? And I basically... We have a system at the moment which we currently accept, which is easy to copy. I would say not RFID smart cards, but the smart cards which have the contacts on them. If you go to that sort of system, it raises the bar a bit more for people to be able to um, put maliciously use the information on your card. Do you think there's any danger in the fact that it's a programmable chip, it's not just a data storage, it's actually a computer with an operating system? Um... Is it? I think that's one of the things that's suggested. I mean, nothing's firm yet, but would that be a problem if it was true? Not necessarily. I mean, it's a, it's a neutral machine. The computer is a neutral machine. I've got box loads of microprocessors. Look, there's, there's always ways to misuse systems. I mean, um, a while ago there was an article on uh, what was an SQL virus or something for RFID systems, but really if someone can't write their high-level systems to be secure from a 10-cent RFID tag, then there's a problem along the chain. But it's got nothing to do with the RFID itself. I mean, all it is, it's just bits. If someone takes those bits out of there and reads them as uh, launch missiles now, then you should really look at rehiring your software engineers rather than blaming the RFID tag for holding nasty bits in the first place. But the RFID systems which have microprocessors on them capable of running what we think of as an operating system would be far too expensive to implement. I mean, where I work with RFID RFID technology all the time, uh, cost is everything. I mean, our particular chips have quite a lot of memory on them and they're fairly complex. They cost, you know, 10 cents too much to buy millions of. There's no way that such a complex chip would be implemented. What about the distance of RFID? I'd read that at DEF CON 2005, some hackers managed to get a big antenna on an RFID reader and read from 70 feet away some unencrypted data on a card. I'd like to see the actual results and know the type of card and run that by my uh, RF engineers at work. Uh, They'd certainly love to know about that because... 
you know, we're struggling to get readings over, you know, 50 centimetres for the ones that we use, and you need a pretty big antenna for that. And a lot of it comes down to the laws of physics. Um, if people make those sort of exaggerated claims, and generally the marketing people like to make those sort of exaggerated claims, it's generally not true, or it's only in absolutely exceptional circumstances. I mean, if you know the card is, was it 75 feet away and aligned in this particular plane, and your antenna is aligned in the same plane, and that there's no other interfering radiation around the place, and yes, you might be able to get the bits back, but the, the return signal from something like that at that distance is minuscule. Um, it's very difficult, but there are different types of RFID systems. Um, some yeah. are longer range than others. But uh, the one that they're talking about here, which is the ISO standard 14443, has a read range of 10 centimetres and if you want to go over that read range, I'm not sure if it's physically possible, uh, you'd probably need a very big antenna, which would be obvious. With RFID, if someone had a fake card that wasn't actually with an RFID chip, but they had a little radio broadcaster in their briefcase, for example, to spoof the signal, would that fool an RFID reader, do you think? That's an interesting one. I mean, there's, there's always ways you could sit down and work out um, countermeasures with electronics as an electrical engineer told me once that you can do anything with electronics it's just a matter of um, time and money as as i said it comes down to people if they design a system where you can just sort of stand there and they can like scan your whole body and they get a response from a card which could be on your person and then accept that information or you pass the card to them and they put it on the other side of a little metal wall scan it or you just have to put it inside a a tinfoil box. Uh, borrow someone's tinfoil hat, put it inside there with the reader, um, read the card. I mean, there are very simple countermeasures. Just like with the ATM scams we've got at the moment, you know, they say to you, don't just trust any ATM. L- look at it. Use your sensibilities. Aris, thank you very much. And that was Aris Vachis speaking with Ian Wolfe. Next up, we've got Professor Graham Greenleaf from the Cyberspace Law and Policy Centre at the University of New South Wales discussing privacy and information concerns surrounding the use and abuse of the National ID Scheme. Hello, Professor Greenleaf. This new access card, is it more for ease of access to welfare services and to prevent fraud? Or is it more for convenience in accessing you? The stated objectives of the card relate to access to services and welfare fraud. But the way the legislation has been constructed, there will inevitably arise many other uses of not just the card, but the whole surveillance system that is built around the card. And there are very few limits in the bill to stop those things arising. So the card could be used for surveillance? The card and the system built around it, including the chip in the card, and the large computerised register that goes with it and the accesses to that register. Has there been any independent privacy impact statement? 
There was a privacy impact assessment of the original proposal, but the Minister has constantly refused to release that privacy impact assessment. So it's secret? The privacy impact assessment is indeed secret, as was a considerable amount of the KPMG consultant's report uh, that was the initial document relating to this scheme. So it's okay for businesses and for the government to keep secrets about how we are to reveal our secrets. It's a, a rather anomalous thing that there should be such secrecy around a scheme that certainly will involve individuals losing some of their privacy. But there was a privacy task force that the government set up, wasn't there? Well there still is, uh, headed by Professor Alan Fells and with a number of other members. Did the government accept all of the privacy safeguards suggested by the privacy task force? No, it didn't. It refused to accept the most important recommendations. They rejected the recommendation that an actual photo not be included in the back-end database, but only a template of that photo. The task force also recommended that neither this person's signature nor the ID number would be visible on the face of the card. The very important recommendation that proof of identity documents that a person produces to become registered shouldn't be scanned or copied once they were verified. And the government has ignored their recommendation that date of birth be not even kept as a voluntary matter on the face of the card. All of the task force's key recommendations that really go to the potential for this access card system to become a comprehensive identity surveillance system were rejected. It's my understanding that there will be two areas on that chip itself, one that is government protected and one that's unprotected. We don't know to what extent yet the cardholder segment of the chip will be unprotected. One of the duplicitous things about the way the government has gone about introducing this bill is that the first bill only defines what will be on the so-called government section of the chip and it doesn't define what can be or will be on the cardholders segment of the chip nor how that segment will be protected. The government has suggested that you might want to put your medical information on the unprotected personal area of the chip, and that this might mean there is an emergency override against the protection on the chip. Yes, that's all very mysterious, because if people are going to put sensitive personal information like that, you know, voluntarily on their own chips, then they will, on the one hand, want to protect it, by a password or you know by some other means but on the other hand if they're say unconscious as a result of a car accident then uh, they're not going to want only people who have passwords to be able to access that medical information but by what means you and at what cost you could possibly set up some system by which you could tell who was authorised to access otherwise password protected information and who wasn't. Uh, it is really hard to imagine 
anything that would not blow the Commonwealth Government's budget for this out of the water. It sounds like a backdoor being built into the system. You don't need backdoors for that because all the front doors are wide open because every government agency uh, at the moment that has demand powers to obtain personal information from other government agencies, as so many of them do, not prevented from demanding that information from the Secretary of the Department of Human Services who controls the register. So the front door is wide open to so-called authorised use by other government agencies. Didn't Minister Hockey say that any policeman or person demanding the card for ID would get imprisoned? It is a joke, and there are no provisions in this bill even for individuals to demand compensation. Will this stop welfare fraud? The real issue is whether the costs that we will otherwise pay will justify some limited amount of reduction of welfare fraud. I noticed in the KPMG business plan that part of the power structure would include a private project manager looking out for the commercial focus of the card. Yeah, well that's interesting, isn't it? What the commercial focus of the card is supposed to be. It's a good one. You know, consultants recommend lots of harebrained things. Would an identity card have protected against any of the terrorist attacks? Well, the experience from London is that all of the terrorists involved there had ample British ID documents because they were homegrown terrorists and the Home Secretary in Britain admitted the day after that an ID card would have had no effect whatsoever on that. Is there any danger that the government could compel you to put extra information onto the card in the future? It requires Parliament to amend what is on the face of the card, but not what is on the chip in the card. Is there a danger that employers will be able to ask for access to your card? All it really requires is for large organisations just to tighten up their identification requirements somewhat without saying anything specifically about ID cards. And you'll find that people will very easily conclude that the only thing to do to avoid a lot of inconvenience and annoyance is to pull that ID card out first. Is this the whole story? We still don't know who can challenge the refusal or cancellation of a card and how you'd go about doing that. We don't know whether individuals will have any right to know who has had access to their records on the register or, of course, what can be on the cardholder's area of the chip and who will have access to card readers that can read what is stored on the various parts of the chip. All of those questions, and, and probably many more, uh, remain unanswered by the bill that's currently before Parliament. What do you think of the suggestion that Aboriginal status will be one of the items on the card? Indigenous status can entitle people to various sorts of right. benefits. And I'm not sure what 
the attitude of Indigenous people themselves would be to whether, you know, if this is going to exist, this system, whether that's a good idea or a bad idea. I mean, it, it can carry with it because of the history of events in World War II about racial status of people, particularly Jewish people, being included on their ID cards, leading to some horrendous, well, you know, fatal consequences. There's little to distinguish this so-called access card scheme from the Australia card of the 1980s that was so soundly rejected by the Australian people, except that 20 years later, this scheme is far more dangerous than that technologically primitive proposal. This is a national ID system without adequate or meaningful protections for individuals and its structure is being put outside parliamentary control. Professor Graham Greenleaf, thank you very much for your time. This was a real interview with genuine questions and answers, but the interviewer's voice has been replaced with a synthetic voice to protect their anonymity. That was Professor Graham Greenleaf from the Cyberspace Law and Policy Centre at the University of New South Wales being interviewed by Anonymous Voice. I can be absolutely anybody, and there's no way for you to tell. Is, is that going out? It's going out. It doesn't matter what you do. This is ridiculous. I am in control. Quick, quick, hit the dump button. Can cancel everything. Hit dump. Close the panel. Go to music. I know where you go to, my lovely. When you're alone in your bed. I know the parts that surround you Cause I can look inside your head Nice choice. We apologise for that interruption to the program and appear to have everything back to normal. The problem always seems to come down to people and abuse by people, not necessarily the technology itself. It's not the cards nearly so much as it is the database that sits behind it. You don't need back doors for that because all the front doors are wide open. Look at it. Use your sensibility. And that's all from us in this edition of Diffusion. If you'd like to contact us, have feedback, comments, suggestions or wild passionate praise, then email us at diffusion at 2ser.com. That's diffusion at 2ser.com. Check out our podcast feed at feeds.feedburner.com forward slash diffusion radio and our website at www.diffusionradio.com. Special thanks to Anna Johnston, Alex Coots and Erica Valls for their permission to play with their interview from The Wire, which was originally broadcast on February 13, 2007. Contributing to the program were Ian Wolfe and Anonymous Voice. Diffusion has been co-produced by Ian Wolfe and Charles Willock in the studios of 2SER Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. I'm Darren Osborne. Join us next week for more science wanderings on the Diffusion Science Radio Show. I will be back. I will be watching you. I can't look inside your head. Don't look behind you.